Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, we thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to to study your word, the great love letter that was written to us, Father, that you still speak to us through it today. Father, that the lessons that we learn from it are still applicable to us today, Father, because even though technology changes, people don't, Father. So we know that we can still learn, we can still grow. And this morning, I pray that we would have a revelation of your word. Father, I'm tired of reading the word and just having an intellectual understanding of it, but there being no power behind it. Father, I want a revelation, a true spiritual understanding of your word. So I pray that we would see that this morning, Lord. That we would grow in you and mature in you this morning. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Before we get started, um, just to let you guys know, um, to keep Pastor Joseph in prayer, um, it, I'll let him talk to you. You can talk to him about it if you want, about what's going on. And, and uh, I don't know if you, uh, is it okay if I share that or, yeah? Okay, so um, Pastor Joseph was recently diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, and he's going to be having surgery on the 15th. Um, so you're not going to see him up here as much through the end of the year. You know, he's going to, understandably, he's going to take a step back and recover. Um, but I do, and that, you know, that's why I was up here doing the message and the offering and the, and the whole works today, because uh, uh, we're just going to give him that opportunity to recover, but uh, keep him in prayer. And remember that, uh, did you raise your hand? Oh, remember that there is, uh, there is nothing too big for God to deal with. So whether God heals Joseph through the doctors or supernaturally before then, we know that God is working in his life. He's moving and he's ministering. We've already asked God to heal him, so we're not going to ask again, but we're just going to stand in, in faith that God heard us. And we know God hears our prayers. And we just thank God that there's going to be a miracle. That he's going to come out the other end with no issues, stronger than ever, beard longer than ever. And uh, we're, just, we're just trusting God, amen? But that is why you're not going to see him up here as much through the end of the year. Um, so that way nobody has any weird questions. We didn't fire him. We didn't uh, kick him out or anything like that. We're just going to give him a, a little bit of break, a little bit of rest, amen? Hallelujah. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and continue on in 2 Corinthians. This is the, the fifth message, I believe. We're going through chapter 4 today. And you'll remember that last Sunday, when Joseph was up, up here, he was sharing with us, basically Paul sharing what his ministry was, what the importance of the ministry that he brought was. And it was in contrast to the one that Moses brought. You remember that Moses' ministry was, was about, uh, uh, he, Paul referred to it as death carved in letters and stone. But Paul said, the ministry that I bring is the ministry of the Spirit, which brings life. And it's not written in stone, but it's written on human hearts. And where once men were left with a veil over their hearts, you remember when Moses would go into the, to, to the tent, he would come out and he was, he was glowing and he would put a veil over his face so that the people couldn't see. And, and Paul said that even to this day, when the law of Moses is read, that veil, that veil, veil, that would be weird, a deer in front of his face. The, the, the veil... Is it also called a veal? Can I pronounce it both ways? Oh. I've, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> the veil. <laughs> the veil is over his face. 
and, 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 and it's over their hearts whenever the, word, the, the, the law of Moses is read. But we, with unveiled faith, see the glory of God because the ministry of the Spirit, because the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this, this ministry that, that, that Paul is sharing is glorious and it's more powerful. It's more important because with the law of Moses, that ministry, it just pointed out where we were failures. The law of the ministry, or the, sorry, the, the ministry of the Spirit actually had the power to change and transform lives. You see, the law just pointed out where we failed Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross gave us the opportunity to, to live up to those standards. We actually have a freedom from sin. We can actually live the way that God wants us to live. It has the power to change and transform lives. And then we're going to see as we come in today at the beginning and the end, I want you to pay attention to this because he says it twice. He says, because of this, because of what he talked about last week, the ministry that he's bringing, he says, we do not lose heart. I know sometimes it's easy to lose heart when you're, when you're a Christian. Even when you're walking and doing everything right, sometimes it's easy to lose heart. But Paul says, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, it doesn't matter because of what I have. I have the ministry of the Spirit. I have Jesus Christ inside of me. I have God's strength alongside of me, so I'm not going to lose heart. And instead of complaining, instead of quitting, instead of whining about all the hardships and about all the stuff that he was going through and all the stuff that he didn't have, some of you know Paul went some times in his life where he didn't have some stuff. He didn't have food or shelter or even people around him supporting him. He says, you know what, instead of complaining about all the hardships and all the stuff I don't have, I'm going to rejoice in what I do have, and that's Jesus Christ. And church, we should do the same. You know, there's going to be seasons in our life when we don't have everything that we want. There's going to be seasons in our life when the, the country around us seems like it's about to implode and people around us are, are, are acting ugly and, and ungodly. And we can complain about that. We can whine about how, how, how awful it is or we can choose to rejoice in what we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul begins this with the simple phrase, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And like I said, this kind of stems from, from last chapter, because if you recall, Paul is being attacked by those there saying that he wasn't coming with letters of recommendation. You remember that? Apparently, somebody thought that Paul didn't have the credentials that he needed to have. He didn't come with, with, with his teachers behind him saying, no, this guy's good, you can listen to him. He didn't come with any of that. So they were questioning his authority. They were questioning his teaching. They were questioning whether he was really an apostle or not. And I think about Paul, if I were in that situation, I just went to this city, I preached them, lives were changed, and then I get letters finding out that somebody's questioning me and those very people that I ministered to were actually starting to fall into that trap and being persuaded. That would cause enough for anybody to lose heart. And it's got to be a tough situation for Paul. 
But he begins to explain to them, if you will remember, that he didn't need those letters of recommendation from, from, from other people because his letter of recommendation was written on the hearts of every Corinthian that received the gospel and had a changed life. That was his letter of recommendation. That was his proof that he had the authority to preach and teach what he was doing. And he says, the whole reason I'm not losing heart is because I have this ministry. And you don't have to go back that far to see what the heck he's talking about. 2 Corinthians 3.6, it was just the last chapter. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He said we're going to be ministers of a new covenant. This is the ministry that he had, this, this ministry that's, that's not of the letter, that's not of the law, that's not pointing out failures, but it's a, it's a one that's of the Spirit and actually gives life to those who, who hear it. So Paul understands the importance of his ministry. He understands that in it lies the way for men to gain life, for men to gain righteousness, for men to gain holiness, for, for men to, to have right standing before God. He says that, that this ministry that I have, it's important. What I have is enough to make me not lose heart. This ministry had the power to change people's lives. Is that how you think about your ministry? Did you know you have the same one? When you share the gospel with people, that's the same ministry that you have. It's the power to change people's lives. And he says that having this ministry is by the mercy of God. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Paul wasn't always a Christian. Matter of fact, Paul made some pretty bad mistakes before this. If you go ahead and read in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14, this is what he tells Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, but I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was an insolent opponent of God. Paul was not only just doing dumb stuff, but he was actively opposing God. He had messed up pretty big. That's not a place we want to find ourselves being in. Not the least of which you can't win. But he says that that I have this ministry by the mercy of God because even though he had messed up, even though he had messed up big, God was still able to use him. And I want to encourage you, church, don't ever underestimate God's mercy in regards to your past failures, your past fallings, anytime that you've ever messed up. Don't underestimate God's mercy. And the truth is, his son's paid for all that. Just because you had some troubled times in your past doesn't mean that you can't be used by God. In the New Testament, other than Judas, Paul's probably the one that opposed God the most. And then God turned around and used him to reach, to, to, to help build the church. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him mightily. And God can do the same thing for you if you'll let him. Quit worrying about your failures and start worrying about Christ's success. Kind of like what we talked about in communion this morning. Don't worry about your failures. Worry about Christ's success. Because His success is greater than your failures. Now that's not to say that when you get born again, you're not supposed to change. 
When you get born again, something should change inside of you. You're, you're free from sin, not free to sin. You're supposed to be living in a different way. There should be evidence of that change. But those failures in the past won't hold you back from God using you. And then Paul goes on to say, instead we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways and we refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's word. You know, one of the things that, that Paul has to defend is because there are apparently people that are accusing him of doing these very things, being disgraceful or being underhanded as he preached the gospel. They're saying that he was using cunning to trip people or he was tampering with the word of God. He was adjusting the word of God. As we'll see, really, they were saying it was so that he would benefit himself. And Paul says, you know what? I'm not trying to change this message for my benefit. We've renounced all those stupid ways. We're not doing that stuff. We refuse to practice coming, cunning or try to trick you. We refuse to tamper with the Word of God. I'm not doing this for my benefit, and I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. And he says, you know what? He says, but the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. What he's saying is, is that we're laying out the truth openly in the front of, in the sight of man and in the sight of God. And that's for your conscience to, to judge. He says, I'm an open book. I'm telling you the truth. In front of God, I'm telling the truth. And you can make a judgment if that's right or not. That's what he says. Commend myself to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he continues on in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now Paul is referring back actually to chapter 3 when he says this in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 16. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only, the, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed." The point that Paul is making here is that when you finally turn to the Lord, the veil is removed, you can finally see the truth. In its full glory, you're not, you don't have a, a partial revelation. You're not missing something. You have the whole story. But Paul says in light of this, even if the gospel is veiled to some, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. These are those who have heard the gospel but have still hardened their hearts to what the Lord wants for them these are the ones that they hear the gospel but they decide that what they have in the world is somehow better they don't want to give up those sinful ways so they decide to harden their hearts to god and because of that there's a still a veil lying over the word of truth because they've been deceived and tricked into thinking that what they have is better than what god wants to offer to them and this is because the, it says right here, the, the God of this world, that's a lowercase g in case anybody's confused, and it's referring to Satan, it's referring to the devil who's the God of this world. He says that, that it's because of him that they, they can't see the truth. They have a veil over their, their eyes, and that's because the devil doesn't want people to get saved. You see, the devil can't win, but he can take people with him. 
He knows he can't win, but he figures he'll have as many people that will suffer with him as he can. Hallelujah. And the reality is, is that the devil wants people so wrapped up in sin and so wrapped up in lies that they can't see anything else. And actually, this is the world that we live in right now. There are so many right now that are not only tolerating sin, and unfortunately there are plenty who consider themselves to be Christians that are tolerating sin, but there are also those who are championing sin. And we see it right. You don't even have to watch the news for very long because the news right now is, is part of those groups that are championing sin. To see people that, that, that think that this is what's right and this is what's good. It's because the devil has blinded them to, to what the truth really is. The very things that are destroying them, he's convinced them that they're good for them. That they're okay. That they're justified. That they're right. And because of this, people have their hearts hardened to the gospel. They're unable to see the truth. And unfortunately, if they never see it, it'll be to their folly, not just in this, this life, but it'll be an eternal folly that they'll never be able to recover from. They've been blinded to the truth. And this is why, church, it's so important that not only do we model godly living, but we also share the gospel with others, that we tell them there's a God who loves them and that their failures have been overcome by, the, by, by Jesus Christ. And if they'll just receive him, their sins can be forgiven and they'll finally be free of all of that nonsense. And that's why we don't change or, or water down the gospel. That's why we're not going to preach a, a, a message that sounds good to, to, to people. That's why we're going to speak the truth even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when right now it flies in the face of what people want to hear. Because if we water down the gospel, we become those very people that Paul was talking about that are using cunning or they are tampering with the Word of God to, I don't know, pad their numbers or whatever it is. We have to be careful that we're not watering down the gospel. That's why we don't preach a different gospel here hoping that we'll grow faster if we make it a little bit easier. We preach the real gospel that says not only does God love you and he died for you and he forgives you, but you also need to repent as well. Live out of what God has accomplished inside of you. And you never know. If you'll just share with people, you might not be the one that leads them to the Lord. But you could be the one planting the seed. It may look like that you're failing every step of the way because you share with everybody you have the opportunity, but nothing ever seems to happen. They never come to, come to the Lord, but you don't know about the seed that you're planting. How many know that you're not supposed to plant a tree too close to your house? You know, the, the, one of the dangers of that would be if the tree is too close to your house, the branches are going to grow into your house and they're going to bang against your house. But how many know that's just superficial damage? That's not the real threat. The real threat is the, 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 the roots that will grow into your foundation. And they, they just find a little tiny hole in your foundation. And over time, that will grow through. And it, it can bust your foundation up. You know, you, you, uh, you scrape your wall up. You can repair that. Your foundation goes. The house is done. Not a whole lot more that you can do. Especially if it begins to break it up. I want you to know that your seed is like that when you planted into somebody's lives you see it may not look like it's doing anything now 
But as it grows, as they hear from other people, as everyone keeps speaking into their life, you know, we're praying that that seed would grow and it would find a crack in the foundation of the blinders over their eyes and it would grow and begin to cause it to crumble so that one day they'll hear the gospel for the hundredth time and they'll finally get it. The, the veil, the, the blinders will fall away. They'll no longer be blinded. They can see the truth. And it's because one day you planted a seed. Even when it doesn't look like it's accomplishing anything, you can still be making a difference. We want to make sure that they're not kept from seeing the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ, and is the image of God. And then verses 5 through 6 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, it seems like the people that were coming against Paul had all kinds of uh, uh, accusations to throw around at him, but it appears here that one of those was that he was just doing it for himself. Everything was for his benefit. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but we're actually proclaiming Jesus Christ. Not only did they, they, they accuse him of preaching an altered gospel that would just give him profit, then they also accused him of, of proclaiming just himself, lifting up himself. And Paul refutes this strongly. He says, it's not of ourselves, but it's of Christ Jesus our Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul not only proclaimed Jesus Christ, but he also acted as a servant to the Corinthian church for the sake of Jesus. And this is particularly true for the Corinthian church because if you, if you know about what happened there, Paul didn't receive anything from the Corinthian church. Not that he didn't have a right, not that he didn't have anything due, but he didn't receive anything. He gave up everything to serve for them. 1 Corinthians 9, 11-12 says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others shared this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of gospel, the gospel of Christ. You know, Paul saying that, that I'm not lifting myself. As a matter of fact, I'm giving everything up to be a servant for you. And I, I, I wonder, somebody had to be talking in their ears because they were there when Paul was doing this. They had to have known. But somebody was beginning to, to whisper in their ears and turning the Corinthian church towards, uh, away from Paul. And, and the reality is, as he says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What Paul is doing is saying that, listen, I'm not trying to lift myself up. I'm lifting up Jesus. And just like in creation, when, when God said, let there be light and light shone into the darkness, light broke up the darkness. I always love this analogy of light and God. Because how many of you know there's no such thing as a dark light? You can't turn on the dark. Anytime you have light, darkness must flee. It has no other option. There's, there's no way you can shine dark into something and light flees. It's always light causing the darkness to be broken up. And he says right here, just like God who said during creation that light shine out of the darkness, we see the parallel that God is now using the light of Jesus to shine in people's hearts to drive the darkness out of their hearts. And Paul says they're, they're using me for that. 
They're using the people that are, that are working alongside me in my ministry. He says, he says the, the light has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Actually, what Paul was giving is a light shining out of him, and that light is Jesus Christ into others, making a difference in their life. Paul never proclaimed himself. He always proclaimed Jesus. Were you, were you, were you fact-checking me with Google? Or Siri? Uh-oh. <laughs> I wonder, let's see how many people's phones are listening. Okay, Google. Hey, Siri. All right. Good. Everyone's doing the right thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Paul never proclaimed anybody else but Jesus Christ, and certainly not himself. And he continues on in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Did you know that a clay vessel is not the treasure? The, the clay vessel can hold the treasure, but a clay vessel in and of itself is essentially uh, worth nothing. It has no value. But it can contain a treasure. The value comes from what's inside. And Paul's saying that, that I'm not the treasure. I'm just the clay vessel. Uh, in and of myself, I'm worth nothing to you guys. But what I contain inside of me is the treasure. The treasure that is newness of life. The treasure that is Jesus Christ. And Paul is specifically talking about himself and those in his ministry that are co-laboring with him. But this applies to each and every one of us in our own lives. When you share the gospel with somebody, it's not about you. You're not the treasure. But what you have inside of you is more valuable than anything that anybody could ever contain. What you have inside of you can change a person's life forever. Not only in this world, but certainly for eternity. And that's really what's important. The truth is, even if your life is horrible, the, a full 80, 90, 100 years on this earth it's nothing compared to eternity. Trust me, you would rather have that than the alternative. But this treasure, this treasure he's talking about that's in this jar of clay is the gospel. It's the power to save, the power to change lives. And each and every one of us has this and we have the opportunity to share it with others. It's the gospel working in you that demonstrates the power of God to others. You know, that's why it's so important to repent and live out what God's accomplished inside of you because then people go, man, that person's different. I knew Wayne when he was in high school. That's not who he is now. God must have done something. But if you look like just like you did before you got saved, then who wants to be a part of that? Nothing's happened. Did you really receive what you said you received? And Paul says that the reason why the treasure is in a jar of clay something that has no value in and of itself is because it's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to them. Paul was always proclaiming God or Jesus Christ, never himself. He always made it clear that this isn't from me, this is from God. So the power belongs to him and to not us. And the truth is, as Christians, the only way that we're going to get in any real trouble is if somehow we begin to think that we're the treasure, that we're the ones changing people's lives. When you pray for somebody and they get healed, you're like, man, I'm pretty awesome. I just healed that person. I had nothing to do with you. 
except for your obedience and faith. It was still God that moved, God that worked. What about those that operate in powerful gifts of the Spirit? The moment that you think that that's you, you're going to run into trouble. And I tell you what, it's actually pretty good news that it's not dependent on us. Because that means that it's not our responsibility for, to, to, to have somebody say yes. Our responsibility is to share the gospel, to plant the seed. But we're not held accountable if they don't say yes. That's not our responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to testify with their heart and to draw them in. It's our responsibility to share and pray that the veil would be re- or the, the blinders should be removed from their eyes so that they could see the truth. And the same is so true that just like if you were to win the lottery today, you wouldn't take all the money and bury it in a, in a glass jar and bury it in your backyard. You wouldn't hide it away. Why would we do that with the treasure that we have inside of us? And I hear some of you saying, well, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't tell nobody. Everybody would want all my stuff. Well, I got great news about the treasure you have inside of you. It can't be taken from you. It can't run out. You can just keep giving it and giving it. You'll never have less and they'll have just as much as you if they say yes. Don't hide the treasure that you have. Share it. It's so important for people to hear this message. And as Paul continues on after he says that, you know what, it's not about me, it's about the treasure inside of me. In verse 8 he says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The truth is, Paul went through some stuff. Paul had a rough ministry. You know, this this should remind each and every one of us that just because things are going hard doesn't mean that, that God's not working in your life and God's not using you. Paul was attacked at every opportunity. The devil did everything he could to bring him down. And Paul was persecuted. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was left for dead multiple times in prison. And ultimately, he gives his life for the gospel. But it doesn't mean that Paul wasn't used. And same with you. Just because things are hard doesn't mean necessarily mean that you're messing up. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes there's an enemy that wants you to quit. And Paul says that, you know, these things have happened. We are, we are, are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Why was he not crushed? Because of God. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Why? Because he knew God was still with him. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Why was he not forsaken? Because God was still with him, even in the, the, the darkest days, the hardest times. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see, God was with him every step of the way. And Paul is really trying to illustrate a point here that if I was twisting my message, if I was tampering with the Word of God, if I was using cunning to get somehow something from you, would I have to go through all this stuff? You see, the the one who who was twisting things, trying to take advantage of people, they'd be getting great benefit because they were stealing material things from other people. They would be doing well. Paul says, take a quick look at my life. I gave up stuff to get this message to you. I didn't gain anything. Particularly in the Corinthian church, like we said, he received nothing from them. 
Paul was a bivocational pastor over there. He was working all day long and preaching all night long. He gave up everything for them. And he, he, he put up with so much stuff. And he says, listen, we're not like those who are taking advantage of people for gain. But we're willing to give up everything. And then in verses 10 through 12, it says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us, but life in you. He goes on to say we're always carrying around in us the death of Jesus. And the implication here is that Paul does not just preach Christ, but he carries around his death and the persecution that he faces every single time he goes out to minister the gospel. His own life was actually a demonstration of the humiliation that Christ suffered on the cross. But this was so that the life of Jesus could be also manifested in his body. That even though that he was being physically beaten down, even though that he was being physically abused and accosted and hurt, spiritually he was alive. And even in Paul's weakness, Christ was glorified. That's what he says here. He's carrying around in the body of death of Jesus. The life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. Then he goes on, for we, live, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And he's really just saying that, that at every opportunity, death is right at our door. The devil's trying to kill him. He doesn't want Paul to be successful. There's always something coming up against him. He says, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Because death was at every opportunity, people could see the success of Christ in his life and that he was still making an impact. And the whole point of this whole, whole situation this whole, uh, uh, whole description that he's using is to, to reiterate that it's not about me. It's always about Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It's always about furthering Christ, that you can see Christ living inside of us, that Christ would be glorified in everything that we do. And Paul's sacrificing and giving up whatever is necessary, his financial security, his, his health, and we, we know that he even gives up his life to give glory to God. And so while it seemed that death was in it for them, the whole purpose was so that life would be available to those who heard the gospel and would respond to it. And Paul believed that his suffering were a means to share the gospel with the Corinthian church. Paul actually considered it worth going through all of this because he believed that their spiritual well-being was more important than his physical well-being. And in verse 13 through 15, he goes on, he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it might increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see, Paul's message to the Corinthian church was important, and he knew that. And in spite of all that he was going through, he was willing to endure whatever to get it to him. 
But he was able to endure because of God and because of his faith and his trust in God. This is actually a quote of Psalms 116, uh, verse 10 here. It says, I believed and so I spoke. He's quoting this psalmist here. And the point is, is that it's, he's, this, this, what he's talking about here, I, I, so I spoke, we also believe is so we speak. Um, the same spirit of faith he's talking about. He's not talking about a, like a gift of the Spirit. But what he's talking about is an attitude of faith. It's an an attitude or or a confidence in the Lord. So he says, just like the psalmist, I have the same confidence that when he believed, he spoke. He says, we believe and we spoke with that same confidence, the same attitude of faith towards what God was saying. And he was able to endure such terrible things, such terrible sufferings, because that he figured that even if it was worse came to worse and he was killed, God was able to raise him from the dead to make sure that his message got where God wanted his message to get. Much like the, the faith that, that Abraham had when he was supposed to sacrifice his son, the writer of Hebrews says that, you know what, he figured that the, the one who had made him the promise was able to raise his son from the dead. So he would do whatever God asked because he knew God would come through. That's an amazing level of faith. But Paul says, the same faith we believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise up also us with Jesus and bring us to you with his presence. Paul was willing to endure everything because he knew that the God he served could get him to where he needed to be going. And even if he were to die, he would be raised up for for him to accomplish what he needed to accomplish. And we know that's true. How many times did God save Paul out of certain death to make sure he could go where he needed to go? Like when he was on a ship and they wouldn't listen to him and the storm was coming, God still made a way. Or when the the Jewish uh, people were planning to kill him and a little boy came and told Paul and Paul said, go tell the Roman, the, 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 centurion uh, of what's going on um, so that way we know what's happening. And they, and they got him safely to Rome. Because Paul needed to speak in front of Caesar. He needed to speak in Rome. God made a way always. And Paul was willing to endure whatever because he knew that God would get him there. And Paul says that this isn't for my sake. You know, this is an interesting thing. Paul believed that God would get him there, but he still understood it was nothing about him. It wasn't for his sake that he would survive, but it was for Jesus' sake and for the Corinthian church, where it was all for your sake, it was for the Corinthian church's sake that God would get him through. It was never about Paul to Paul. It was always about Jesus to Paul. And it was all for their sake. Why? So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see, the idea was that the, Paul, the message was going to get to the Corinthian church, and then they would share it with others. And as this grace extended and it passed from more to more and it increased more and more, it was never about lifting up Paul to say, man, your message is making it a long ways, but it was always to give thanksgiving to God and glory to God. It was the whole point of it all. Never about Paul, always about God. And then he finishes up with that same phrase that he started with. So we do not lose heart. Verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, it's for these very reasons that God is with them, that the message is important, that God would make a way. That's why Paul reiterates that I'm not going to lose heart. I don't care how bad it gets. I'm not going to lose heart. And it's not because Paul didn't experience disappointments. He certainly did. I mean, the whole reason why he, he, he headed up to the other city, uh, because Titus wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was disappointed. He wanted to hear from Titus about what was happening in the Corinthian church. He was certainly disappointed that people were bringing false accusations against him and the people that he loved and he trusted and he poured into were being swayed by these people. And I, I'm certain he was disappointed that he got some rocks thrown at him or that he almost drowned in a shipwreck or he had to spend some time in prison. And if you want to, uh, uh, to really understand what that means, do some research on what Roman prisons used to look like. You know, sometimes Paul was kind of on house arrest. There are other times it was much, much worse. And the truth is, is that, that it was much worse than anybody in prison in the United States would ever face what he was going through, and he considered it worth it. And I, I know he was disappointed. And I imagine there were moments where he said, God, aren't I doing the right thing? Why is this stuff happening to me? Aren't I doing what you want? And the reason I know he probably had those moments is because I have those moments. But the truth is, God was still working. God was still moving. And I know that when I have those moments, God quickly reminds me that He's still with me. He's still there for me. And no matter what's happening, that he's, he's right there alongside of me and that encourages me. So I know the same thing happened for Him and He said, you know what? It's worth it. Paul knew that whatever he was going through was light, momentary affliction. Now, I want you to grasp the gravity of what he, that, that actually means. Because it seems like you're either, when you read this, one of two things happen. You either imagine something like light and, mo like, you know, the, the, the seats were, were wooden instead of cushioned. You know, it was, it was uncomfortable. Or you, you know what Paul went through and you're like, well, that just seems like a lie. But the truth is, is Paul went through some horrific stuff and he considered it light, momentary affliction. How could he consider stuff that was that bad as light, momentary affliction? And it's all about what you compare it to. He says it's light, momentary affliction. It's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What he says is, is that you know what? The glory that we're going to receive when we, are, when we are, 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 are transformed into our new bodies and we're living with Jesus Christ, it is so much more than what you're expecting. You know what? Probably the, the closest thing that I can think of would be a mother giving birth. Because as soon as she holds the baby in her arms, all of a sudden what she just went through was light momentary affliction compared to the joy she feels holding the baby that she has in her arms. That's why God does that. Because you wouldn't want to do it again if you remembered how bad it was. That's also why God makes babies cute. So you don't want to kill them all the time. Light and momentary compared to what we're going to receive. And no matter how bad things get while we're living on this earth, remember there's nothing compared to what we're going to have in eternity.
next to Christ. It's like the story that Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man. You remember Lazarus was a beggar. He never had anything good, open sores. People were probably awful to him, never had enough to eat. His life was awful. But when he died, he was at Abraham's side. I bet at that moment, everything that he went through in his life, no matter how bad it was, he says, you know what? That was light and momentary. Because now I have an eternity at Abraham's side. And he says, that's why we look at the things that are seen. We're not, we don't look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's why we, we don't look at what's actually going on. We look towards the spiritual truth of what's going on. The things that are unseen, these are the promises of God. This is eternal life. This is eternity. The things that we don't see right now, but they are a truth, and they are just as solid as any fact that you can think of in your life. We look towards that. Because the things that we actually see around us are, are transient. You guys know what transient means? It means that it's, that it's in and out of existence, in and out of time. It doesn't really, and, and, and if you look up the definition, it means that it's in and out of time quickly. This life, this however long the, the earth's been around, depending on which side of you you look at, and I don't really care which one you do, it's not important as long as you're preaching Jesus. But it's, it's momentary. It's a, it's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. It's, it's transient. It's in and out of existence in a moment. The Bible says even our, our life is like a mist that evaporates quickly. Mists that only appear for a matter of time. So instead of focusing on the things that are transient, that are temporary, even if they don't feel temporary, they're temporary, we fix our eyes on the things that are unseen. And how do you see the things that are unseen? With eyes of faith. By faith we see those things. And church, I want to encourage you that whatever is 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 uh, gained or received by faith, that is what is eternal. Amen? Those are the things that will never pass away. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Hallelujah. Well, I just want to give everybody an opportunity, when we, especially when we hear a message like this and we, we get to hear about the importance of the, the message of the gospel. The reality that our sins can be forgiven, but not only are our sins wiped away, but we're also remade. We're made brand new so that sin and death no longer even has a claim on our life. Always want to give an opportunity for people to respond to that message. And whether you're listening online this morning, you're in here this morning, if you've not asked the Lord Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, then your eternity is not guaranteed. Now the reality is, is that you still will have an eternity. The question is, who will you spend it with? Will you spend it with God, alongside Jesus Christ, in heaven? Or will you spend it away from God? Where the, Jesus says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal pain and suffering. We have that choice to make. God has made a way for you. And all you have to do is receive that free gift of life from Jesus Christ. 
God loved you so much and he didn't want you to spend that eternity away from him. So he loved you so much that he sent his son to give his life to pay the price and penalty for every failure, every, every sin, every bad thing that you've ever done. Jesus paid that price for you. And all you have to do is say yes. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and your Savior and you will be saved. So I want to give that opportunity right now. Um, I'll just have everybody go ahead and pray uh, alongside with me this prayer. Repeat after me. And uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never prayed this prayer before, at the end we're going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand or if you're watching online to reach out to us so that we can pray with you. But it's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith, like I just talked about. The, 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 the way we see the things that are unseen is through eyes of faith that's putting our trust in Jesus that guarantees us eternal life. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. I thank you that you sent him to pay the price that I should have paid, to die the death that I should have died. And as a result, I have a brand new life. And from this moment forward, I call him my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if that was you this morning, um, was there anybody in here that said that for the first time? Raise your hand if it was. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise God for that. At the end of the service, come on up here. I'd love to pray with you, okay? And uh, if there's anybody online that has said that for the first time this morning, send me a, an email or give me a call. My, my information is all on the church website. I want to pray with you. Because right now, at this moment, you didn't just say some words, but a miracle took place inside of you. And the old man was removed. Who you were was removed. And you have a brand new spirit inside of you. You have been fixed. You are clean. You are holy. You are pure. And you are in right standing before God right now. Just because you trusted him. Amen? Let's go and stand to our feet.